0: Good morning, Uh, let's go just a few pages earlier to Acts chapter 11 and we'll read specifically starting in verse um, 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews All right. Eric's now going to bring the word to us from Acts 11.
1: Well, good morning. Everyone's had enough coffee and we're outside and we're in the sunshine and it's it's a beautiful day, isn't it? I mean, it could be 20 degrees hotter. It could be Uh, Much more difficult. Uh, I am a a missionary with Slavic Gospel, and we have worshipped on the the border of Afghanistan when it's 110 degrees and you're inside because you can't allow anyone to hear your singing because the locals will turn you in. Uh, Christy and I have worshipped on the edge of a Russian artillery battery in eastern Ukraine, where you worship knowing that your bomb shelter is just outside in case the shelling starts. And then we've worshipped up in Far East Russia, where in Far East Russia, they're still among the pagan peoples, and it's 60 degrees below zero, and they're still herding reindeer. But there's one thing that is common throughout all this, and that is that we're worshipping Jesus Christ. We worship Jesus Christ as our risen Savior. He is our Lord, He is our hope, and He is the only means of salvation among those who believe. And that's why we are gathered here this morning. I'm the pastor of River's Edge Bible Church in Pecatonica, and I actually attended this church back when it was meeting at Midway Village before it even moved uh, to Rockford Christian. But I'm also a missionary with Slavic Gospel Association, and at Slavic Gospel Association we're involved in supporting the National Russian-Speaking Church. What that means is we work with over 350 national missionaries, both providing them biblical training from a seminary level down to a church-based level, working with those national ministries uh, to keep them in the game in the middle of ministering among Muslim peoples in the war zone, among pagan peoples, and then also giving them the resources like during, Christ, uh, during the COVID crisis uh, where we, they can minister to those in need. So it's a a well-rounded ministry that's been around since 1934. But I want to just stop there, and I want to focus more on jumping into the, the passage before us. When you think of refining gold, when you think of whittling some wood into something that it will be, when you think of pruning roses, that you would get more flowers out of the rose bushes. When you think of all those things, if you were a piece of wood, if you were a piece of metal, if you were a rose bush, I bet you would not appreciate what's happening to you. If you were a rose bush, you wouldn't really appreciate constantly being pruned. If you were a metal, you probably would not appreciate the high heat of, uh, that you're experiencing. Yet often, It's in the middle of this refining that that which you were designed to be, it's refined to be something more. We are in hard times. We are in difficult days. We have the pandemic. We have social unrest. We have uncertainty in the midst of our economy and our future. And I don't know about you, but this kind of an environment can lead to having anxiety, worry, some people are caught up in depression, all kinds of difficulties as we start to navigate. Yet in the middle of this suffering, could it be that that's the exact recipe that God has uh, to move us from self-reliance into reliance on him, that we would be more fruitful in our lives? When I was younger, I was taught to be uh, self-maintaining. As I say to Uh, Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps uh, to take care of yourself, to get a career, and and to soldier on through life. But maybe what God is doing in these times is moving us away from pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and moving instead into greater reliance on Him. During uh, a, a ministry we have at SGA called... Christ over COVID were equipping churches uh, with groceries and the gospel to go out to people that might otherwise never, ever grace the doors of a church. One of them is a guy named Evgeny, and he used to be in the Russian military, and he prided himself on being able to take take care of himself. In fact, he worked on the front lines in, in, in times of war, and in the midst of that, he used to laugh at Christians. That they would pray to an unseen God and that they would hold out to hope to something they could not touch or feel. Well, in the middle of this crisis, he's now married and he has a child and he couldn't put food on the table. And no one else stepped up to help him out except for a local church like yours. And they came out and knocked on his door and ministered with a bag of groceries and sat down and started talking to him about the gospel And he said, I then realized in that moment that the Christians weren't who I thought they were, that they had answers, and they had a message of hope, and it was time for me to listen. In the news, you're probably hearing about the unrest in Belarus. So I'll tell you another story about another gentleman named Evgeny, who was in Belarus. He was in a village and this pastor's name is Michael, and he went out to the village. And Evgeny had a, a believing wife who faithfully prayed for him year after year after year. And he'd begun to struggle. He struggled with diabetes and other elements. And he had to have one leg removed, and then slowly one foot removed on the remaining leg. And he was having great difficulty. And the pastor, Michael, would always come over and pray with him. So finally, in the middle of this, Evgeny reached out and said, Pastor, would you come over and pray with me? And Michael and his wife Galena gathered together, and they began to pray, and he stopped him, and he said, No, I want to pray this time. And in the middle of this, in the middle of the great hardship of his life, he prayed a prayer of repentance and belief and faith in Christ. And in the middle of that, his wife started crying because she had prayed for years and years and years that he would change his life. And here in these moments, when he was suffering the most, all his self-reliance was gone, and he turned to Christ in prayer. Three weeks after that, Evgeny died. His health was, was difficult, but in that, his wife knows she will see him again. By God's grace. So time and time again, such trials reveal themselves as God's means to build in us a greater faith. So now we have to step back and ask, in our own life, could it be, and I hope you would probably agree with me, that our sovereign God has allowed these things into our lives? He has allowed the COVID virus. He has allowed struggling In fact, maybe he prescribed suffering. Maybe he's prescribed difficulty. Maybe in your personal life it's a a little bit harder. But I can tell you from Scripture that God's purpose is not your destruction, but your refining that you would be a brighter, more beautiful, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. If you would just shift your focus away from the suffering in your circumstances and shift it instead to your savior so now with that introduction i ask you to turn to acts chapter 11 and as the the few that are gathered here from rivers uh, uh rivers edge Bible church will tell you you can park on two or three passages of scripture and spend all day on it but i promise I won't but we're gonna we're gonna park on verses 19 20 and 21 which is the response of the persecuted peoples in the, uh, and, and how they responded in the middle of difficult circumstances, really as a description of how we should respond in these times. So look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And Acts chapter 11, verse 19 reads this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, that passage in and of itself is an amazing passage. So let's draw inside what's happening here. So let's let's go ahead with context. So hold your place there, and then you can flip back to Acts chapter 4. And we need to realize what was going on at the time. It was an amazing time after... Uh, Christ's ascension, that the church began to grow, and people were speaking boldly. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 33, speak of a time of growth, a time of standing uh, for the sake of the gospel. Here it started in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was a level of persecution that was happening from the Jews, but that persecution was the vehicle for local growth. God's prescription to grow the church in Jerusalem was suffering and hardship. So now go back a little bit to your left to Acts chapter 1-8. And Acts chapter 1-8 is a passage that a lot of people point to as a missional passage. And we actually have to caution ourselves a little bit in understanding the text there. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And why do I say it that way? The word uh, in saying you will be my witnesses, or the the word martyreo, which is to be a witness even to the point of death, is not an imperative, but it's an indicative. So Jesus is not telling them, you are going to go be my witnesses in these spheres of the world, and you come up with a special strategy to do it. He says, no, he's stating a fact. That you will be my witnesses. And in the book of Acts, we see the outworking of that statement in Acts 1-8. We see people who bloomed wherever God placed them to be witnesses even to the point of death. Like when we think of Stephen. When we look at Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, we we often see that as a great commission passage, which it is. But we focus on the go statement go therefore, and we think about how we have to go somewhere else, but the imperative again is in making disciples. The, the demand or, or the command that God gives us is in witnessing to others, evangelizing, seeing them grow in grace wherever God places them, and we miss this. So now with that context, we now turn to verse 19, which which is telling us the amazing story that they were scattered because of the persecution. Now, you remember that persecution followed the stoning of Stephen and starts in Acts chapter 8. So I'm giving you a whole run through Acts here. And Saul, who later would become Paul, approved of the execution, even had people put garments at his feet. So because the believers were speaking about Christ, They came under great persecution. And what happened was churches were planted. Under the days of communism, especially in the 1930s, Joseph Stalin stood to eradicate his country of Christians. They called that the Great Purge. And an untold number of millions of people were martyred for their faith. So what Joseph Stalin did to wipe out Christians, he took them and pushed them into Far East Russia. So what do you think happened when he pushed Christians out into Far East Russia? Churches were planted. So he decided that he was going to wipe them out by shoving them into Central Asia, where the Christians would be persecuted by the Muslim peoples. And guess what happened? Churches were planted. In every case, whether it was in the gulags or whether it was in the distant regions of Far East Russia, wherever Christians are sent for their destruction, that's exactly where God has them to be witnesses for the sake of the gospel. Whether it's in the war zone of Ukraine today, where we see churches that have been emptied out by as much as 70 percent, I'm here to tell you today the churches are full to overflowing And people are coming to faith who would have never come to the church except in the middle of warfare. People under the COVID pandemic who would never listen to a a single scripture in the biblical text are coming to faith because in the middle of hardship they're hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may have heard of Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary to China, or maybe you've studied about him in one of the classes, but he made this statement that should resound in our hearts, all of our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestations of his grace, power, and love. So in the same way, the Jewish leaders had sought to wipe out the way, the people that were teaching and preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and that persecution came upon these people, and guess what they did? They spoke the word only to the Jews. Now, I want you to think about this. They traveled to Antioch, and Antioch was really a secular place, and they were persecuted by the Jews, people who didn't like them at all. So the very first people that they went to minister to are the people that were attacking them, the people that were struggling, the people that didn't want to hear about the gospel. They were the ones that were the most comfortably religious. The Jews at the time would have counted themselves as close as you can get to God while still being on the earth. Now, I'll tell you, in our country right now, about five years ago, 71% of our country claimed to be Christian, with less than 7% claiming salvation by grace through faith, to be born-again believers, believing in a literal heaven and hell, believing in God's inspired Word, and believing that the outworking of our Christian faith is the body of believers. Only about 7% that number in our country is down to 65%. But in the middle of that, I want to tell you that more than 50%, like 57% of all the people in our country that claim to be Christian also only go to church maybe once or twice a year. Which means a mass majority of those people who claim to be Christian in the United States really don't understand Christianity at all. Yet in our context increasingly it is becoming more hostile to talk about Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In Russia alone, 69% of the people claim to be Christian, yet only 2% or less claim salvation by grace through faith. What it means is much like the believers in Antioch that were going to the most religious people of the day, we too need to recognize that that we live in a country that predominantly holds to a statement of being Christian, but increasingly do not want to hear the gospel. And we need to be those witnesses. In the middle of these times, in the middle of these days, in the middle of these difficulties, there is no greater time than now to stand for the sake of the gospel. We cannot retreat into the shadows or to be silent. And that's what the people here we're talking about. In fact, Pastor Vasily, in another village in Belarus, an area where they are persecuted and oppressed for their faith, he writes that a person without fear before the Lord is a person with a ruined life. Life without God is a way to death, and a majority of the people live in such a way in our world. I understand the responsibility and the importance to reach people with the gospel but talking about the gospel is very hard at the beginning. He was witnessing with some lady talking to her about the gospel, and she said, I don't need to hear that. I've heard it before. I'm orthodox. But he said she lives a very pagan life. He said the people that are comfortably religious were the first people, the this, the uh, the first believers went to, the comfortably, comfortably religious people, and he said they are the most difficult, the most self-righteous to minister to. So we remember that the first thing that the church did in the early days is to minister to the comfortably religious. And why do I share that? Not only do they see the same challenge and problem on the other side of the world, but we live in a country that is comfortably religious and more focused on Of finding peace on earth rather than peace with God. So I encourage you as a church to continue to stand as bold lights in our country as well in the middle of these difficult times and to follow in the footsteps of those that made their way to Antioch. But they went just a step further. They didn't just minister to the Jews. You can see in verse 20 that there's some of them men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who upon coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, you can think Greek-speaking Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. In, context, in contrast to the Jews, the Gentiles wouldn't have known anything about words like Messiah and Savior. They wouldn't have understood this at all. They wouldn't have under, understood Sunday school language. Much like our world today, They would understand lordship. They would understand because they live in a culture of idolatry. Antioch was one of the most wicked cities in the Roman Empire. Uh, The tops, as you probably know, is Corinth. But Antioch was one of the most wicked areas with Greek, Roman, and Syrian deities that were honored and worshipped. They continued. In fact, one, one or two commentators said, Antioch was the New York City of the United States. That if there was any sub, uh, bastion of, of, of liberal thinking and rejection of Christian mindset, they equated Antioch to New York. And so the the, the persecuted believers had made their way to Antioch. And they were preaching Christ as Lord. And, and the reason I want to emphasize that is very often we say we... We believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, but we don't know what that means. We use those words and we talk about them, but it's true today when we talk about salvation and we talk about our hope of Jesus, most people hear those words, but they don't know what it means in their personal lives. It is talking about turning away from being mastered by our sin and mastered by the idols of our hearts and turning to faith in Christ. Just briefly, if you don't know what an idol in your heart is, if you're willing to sin to get something or willing to sin if you don't get something, there's probably an idol in your heart that is grabbing your worship. There are many things. My good friend uses the example of a chocolate chip cookie that is sitting there. By the way, my wife makes the best chocolate chip cookies, so I don't mean to offend anyone else, but there they are. And so she'll put a hot chocolate chip cookie out on the counter, and she might tell the grandkids, not yet. And they're hoping, much like our little puppy, that she leaves the room so they can get a cookie. And they know they're disobeying her, but the, the, the aroma of the cookie draws them to the counter. The knowledge of how sweet that cookie's going to be draws them in. And that's like that in our personal lives. We have things in our world that, that draw upon our senses, that draw upon our thinking, and capture our heart of worship. Things that we're willing to sin to get, or even throw a tantrum and sin and be destructive and angry and even violent if we don't get it. And these things rule our lives. In fact, Jesus said in, in John eight thirty four, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So I want, to be, I want you to be certain that what I'm saying is they didn't come to liberate people from sinning as if they don't sin anymore because we all know that we are sinners in need and grace. And we daily need to come before the Lord. But we are no longer slaves to sin, but as Paul says, slaves to righteousness. So how do we know when we have that, those idols in our heart? You know the symptoms of idolatry. Anger, jealousy, envy, strife, immorality, addictions, violence in the home, domestic violence, brutality, violence in the streets. We see these things as evidence of the idols of the heart. So when these men showed up and they were preaching that Jesus Christ as the Lord, they were telling a people and appealing to a people to lay down the idols of their heart and to believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to turn away from pagan worship to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives them hope by grace. And that would have been a wild, wild thing. To hear for the people of the day. So in Acts chapter seventeen, as Paul is going to uh to Athens, it says in Acts seventeen, verses sixteen to seventeen, that his spirit was provoked within him. Means like a if you have a muddy pond and throw a rock in it, it, stirs up all the mud. It's like that in your heart. Not that you guys have muddy hearts, but that the heart is stirred up, that that's all you can think about. And so the Apostle Paul was provoked. And what did he do? He reasoned with them in verse 17 in the synagogue. It means he dialogued with them. He talked with them in the synagogue. And he talked to the Jews and the devout persons. But he also was out in the marketplace every day. So in the middle of the difficult times and the idolatry that we see and the growing idolatry, I gave you the statistics in the U.S. on the decline of Christianity. But on the other side of it is an increase in what they call uh, the "none" generation where they're saying that over, uh, what was it, 13% before that claimed no faith in the last 10 years has become 26%. And we're moving into a culture of idolatry that rejects the very existence of God and, and begins to push forward uh, the, the God of your own choosing. But in the middle of saying this, I need to warn all of us and see, and speak it to myself that we can't tell people to turn away from idolatry if we're not living it ourselves. We as Christian as followers of Christ, need to actually practice what we preach. Paul writes in Romans 6.6, 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So along with not only uh, telling people to turn away from idolatry and turn to worshiping God alone, we have to practice it in your, our lives. So what does that mean to our church? It means that, first of all, we have to minister to the comfortably religious. We have to not be afraid to take Christianity to people who claim to be Christian already, because a mass majority of the people who claim Christianity in our country have no idea what it means. And if you don't believe me, turn on the Internet, and you can, you can kind of see that yourself. But secondly, in a world that is filled with idolatry, now more than ever, we need to talk about the lordship of Christ, to living Christ out in our lives, to be freed from the shackles of of slavery to sin, and to be set free to, to walk rightly in Christ. But in doing so, we, the church, need to honor Christ first in our lives. So finally, in verse 21, Why does it all matter? Why in the lands of Russia would people go out to their persecutors and preach the gospel? Why would missionaries in Central Asia that are preaching the gospel in villages and getting bricks through the window and being beaten in in police stations, why would they continue to preach the gospel? It's simply this in verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It's not about their excellent abilities. It's not about their great church missionary plan or the great work of a missions agency. It is not about the eloquence of your pastor, although Steve's a wonderful guy and I've known him for a long time. It is not about that. It is about the hand of God being with the church. It is about God setting aside his people and we have the confidence in knowing that his word never comes back void. It means that when God is at work, He is advancing the gospel even more so in hardship, even more so in the pandemic, and even calling for a revival in the middle of these difficult times. Now's not a time for us to go into hiding. Now is a time for us to openly proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, there's a lot of kids out here right now. And you kids, how many of you have heard the account of David and Goliath? Only one? No, more than one hen. I I hope the adults have heard David and Goliath too. So if you went back to David and Goliath, you'd find that in 1 Samuel. So we've been sitting here in Acts, so I'm going to ask you to crack open uh, the Old Testament and go back to 1 Samuel. And in chapter 17, we see the account of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 23 and 24, it says this, As they talked, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of their ranks of the Philistines and spoke the words before them. And David heard him, And all the men of Israel, when they saw this one man, it says, they fled from him and they were very much afraid. Have you guys all ever been afraid of something? So so afraid, especially you kids, so afraid your knees are knocking and you want to hide. That's like my new little puppy. We've got a new little puppy. and And a squirrel came on the fence and she pinned herself against the door and was frightened because she had no idea what the squirrel was even though she was five times bigger than the squirrel. And she was hiding and we do this. And so the... Israelites who easily outnumbered Goliath, one man, they just hid and they shook and you could hear their armor clanking together and they were frightened and they fled. But one person, a shepherd boy named David stood. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, you know the story. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But what does he say? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And with this in mind, how did David, you kids, what did David do? Did he go hide in a cave? Or did he run? He grabbed some stones. He put them in a sling and he ran straight at him. He had no fear because he knew that God was with him and they knew that Goliath had defied the armies of the living God and a victory would come. So the people of Antioch, the people from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come, they're no name people. I just shared some stories with you of people you won't even remember. You probably will never meet. They're not special people. They are not gifted people. They are faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ who, like a shepherd boy, when everyone else was shaking, picked up a couple of rocks and ran straight at any who defied the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not asking you kids to pick up rocks and throw them at people. Please, please don't throw rocks and say, Pastor's telling me to pick up rocks and throw it to people that don't agree with me. Don't do that. What I'm saying is, in the middle of these difficult days, in the middle of these hard times, we can look back to the people that had made their way to Antioch and remember what they did. They did not retreat. They did not back off. Why? They knew the hand of the Lord was with them. And it was just that hand of the Lord where they could see the church built Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We know, under the years of persecution, under the years of communism, God advanced his church. SGA used to broadcast the Bible at dictation speed, and families would sit together, starting in Genesis, and they would write every verse of the Bible down. Families today have Bibles two feet thick, where they have actually as a family, they kept together the Bible, the handwritten Bible. And when the KGB would break in, they would distribute pages through the family so that if dad or grandfather were arrested, the rest of the Bible would stay in the house. And they treasured this. I know a lady in Tajikistan who came to faith in prison and she was afraid that her Muslim captors would not allow her to have her Bible. So she memorized the entire book of Psalms, all of them. And she can recite the Psalms from memory in five languages. And she does this during the worship service. Why? Because the Word of God is... And the hope that we have in Jesus is bigger than our circumstances, bigger than the difficulties of life. And the hand of God is with the faithful when they preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And why am I sharing this? Just as the believers who came to Antioch lived their life on mission for the sake of the gospel, so should we. Don't allow these times these difficulties, social distancing and masks and, and, and the illness and the sickness and the difficulties of the coronavirus. And I have friends that have even died from this virus. It's very serious. But don't allow this or the job loss or the difficulties to define your faith. Be defined by Christ in Him crucified. For certainly He is coming again soon. And he is building his church. And we are his people, even gathered under a tree. We attend different locations of worship, but we are united in one hope. And his name is Christ and him crucified. And he will be coming soon and we will be united with him. But until then, preach the word, preach the gospel, because the world needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious day that we could be out here under your creation and to enjoy the sweet fellowship of hearts united in you. Yet, Father, we know that the work is not done. If you have given us difficulties, if you have given us suffering, if you've given us the trials of the day, you have not done this for our destruction, but for us to be exactly where you need us to be, to be witnesses of the gospel. Lead us, Father, to be those people among the comfortably religious, that we would challenge them, that they would turn to you in saving faith. Lead us, dear Lord, to be among a people that don't know you at all, that reject even your existence, that we would not shy away, but we would tell others of the hope that we have within. And most of all, oh, Father, we pray that your hand would be upon us, Give us the strength uh, to be your witnesses in this time. We gather together with your church across the world, with those that are suffering under persecution and oppression, for those in the middle of these difficult days who may be discouraged and even wanting to give up, that you would encourage their hearts in this day, encourage our hearts in this day, that we would be those willing vessels that would bring you glory above ourselves. Guide us now, Father, through your Word and by your Spirit. And it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.